0: Welcome to episode 16 of Box Flap with me, Chance Stanton. Each week on Box Flap I try to bring a smile to your face and hold your interest for a while, but not only that, I'm hoping to encourage you to explore your own creativity, your own humanity, and to make connections with other people and make connections with me. So Without further ado, let's dive into this week's exciting episode of Flap. A little bit about me, I got kicked out of Bible college. listen to a lot of podcasts about writing and the business of independent publishing and tips. And usually it's, it's more advice based and people who have been successful and how they did it and how you can apply that to your own writing career. There is one podcast that is a little different and I still find great value in it. It isn't an advice podcast. It's called Free Rider with T.A. Walker. She does a great job of just boosting that internal soul that we have as writers and artists and people. It reminds me to keep it human, to do that which I am put on this earth to do, which for me is to write, to tell stories, and to connect with people through, through writing and apparently this podcast. But T.A. Walker actually sent me a voicemail. And I'd like to share this with you because I think she just has a great voice. In addition to all the great content she puts out at free rider. Hi, John Stanton. This is TA Walker. Thank you so much for the message that you left. It was encouraging and I'm glad that you seem to appreciate the tone of my podcast. I hope that you'll continue to listen in season three and beyond. And I hope that it is helping you in any small way. Take care of yourself and I'll talk to you on the next episode. I mentioned in the intro that I was kicked out of Bible college. Well, kicked out was a pretty strong phrase. It was more like I was strongly encouraged not to return after my first semester. And there were various reasons, uh, one of which was an, the inciting incident uh, when I was a DJ at the campus radio station at this uh, Bible college located on, on a skyway system in Minneapolis. <laughs> um And I was uh, working a night shift and uh, the music that they, their format was more along the lines of um, calm, uh, conservative music, the Christian music, but more like Sandy Patty and inspirational type music. That wasn't what I listened to though. I I really enjoyed uh, Christian rock, hard rock and Christian pop rock. I won't even bother naming names because I know there's so few of us uh, folks who grew up in the 80s who probably recall the uh, the groups that I that I actually found exciting. So I did lock myself in, but then I also worked in some U2, Bullet the Blue Sky, and Kansas Dust in the Wind, which I recently discovered. So I played some things that were not in the canon of allowable music within that Bible College's format. Um, and I knew that was going to be a problem and that's why I had barricaded myself in the sound booth. So, <laughs> at some point, maybe around 10 p.m., <laughs> the uh, station manager came down from the dorms in her pajamas and was pounding on the glass. And I I just finished out my, my shift playing out the music that I wanted to play. And uh, that was... one of the reasons why I was asked not to return to Bible college. And that, and I would sign in for morning chapel even though I didn't attend and I would go back to bed. This week's episode is brought to you by Light Stuff Packing Products. If you know anything about me, you know that I'm a big packaging geek. I love boxes and I like box flaps and all the material that comes with your order from Amazon. Like when you order Grave of Songs and then there's the paper and the packing pellets, And best of all is Light Stuff's packaging airbags. That's right. Those little plastic bags that are filled with air, it's tempting just to discard them, right? You throw them away. Well, Light Stuff has taken air sacks to the next level. Next time you get a delivery, it has those air sacks from Light Stuff, make sure you pop them open and take a whiff. There's some that smell like the ocean. There's some that smell like the interior of a 1972 Oldsmobile Cutlass on a hot day. And how about that delicious aroma of Raspberry Bubblicious? Folks, sometimes I get so excited by Light Stuff's air sacs that I don't even pay attention to what I ordered. I just love popping open those air sacs and giving them a whiff. Quick author update, I did get down to Decorah, Iowa once again and visited the Dragonfly bookstore right there on Main Street, trying to uh, get some books into the shop, and they have no idea who I am yet, but I am encouraged because this was my um, third contact, Uh, and I left them a copy of The Blank Slate Boarding House for Creatives, which was my second novel, and just trying to work my way in. I really love the city of Decor. It's just a neat place to visit and has a cool vibe. Um, Luther College is there and that is not a college I've been kicked out of. I also got some good writing in this week on the Norwegian Pontu Mafia, the first book in a series on on that. Um, the first book is called Lake Level and right now I'm really starting to Just right in the opening. I've got the outline pretty well sussed. And then now it's just a matter of putting the words down. It's what it always takes. Oh my gosh. We've got a couple of contenders for a challenge that I issued a couple of episodes ago during the mashup uh, episode where um, I asked for uh, some mashup concepts. In front of the show, Stephen Carlson has submitted a couple of doozies. And I apologize, I skipped think-off three last weekend and I didn't see these in my inbox. Shame on me. But without further ado, Stephen Carlson's entries. Number one, Frankula. The natural outcome if Dracula had married the bride of Frankenstein and they had a son. This is a story of a young man with a bolt through his neck, large boots, and very sharp eye teeth. And as much as he tries, his bat wings are not capable of lifting his lumbering body into the air. That'd be very frustrating, you know, especially if you were a uh, undead bloodsucker. Uh, people would hear you coming if you were just clambering around with your big boots. His second concept, Lake Wobegon meets Nob Hill. This story takes place when the good-looking, strong, and above-average people of Lake Wobegon visit Nob Hill, where all the men are snobs, all the women are prima donnas, and all the children believe they are above everyone else. little classism. Classy classism. Thank you, Stephen. That's great. Are you ready for some fun? For this week's Think Off 3 Challenge, like you to think of three places that would be really weird to get kicked out of (laughs) and you can't use Bible college. Three places where you wouldn't expect to be kicked out and maybe a little bit about why you'd get kicked out of these places. It's fun. For those of you new to the podcast, Think Off 3 is a creative exercise we play. It's not a game in the sense of people winning and losing, there's no points, it's just a creative exercise to get the juices flowing. I think it would be great for warm-ups in a writing class, for example, or um, if you have a problem that you're trying to solve, playing a little Think Off 3 and then addressing your problem I think is a really good way to get the brain to think a different way, unexpected ways. So. How do you and Stephen Carlson and other people, who are all winners in my book, how do you send me those responses to these Think Off Three challenges? Well, I'm glad you asked. You can email me at chance underscore s at yahoo.com or you can go over to my author Facebook page, Chance Stanton Author, like the page and DM me or whatever it is you kids do nowadays. This week's author read. I'm not going back to the box, I'm actually going to the digital dustbin of the Internet Archive. I'd done a series of blogs to promote my second novel, The Blank Slate Boarding House for Creative, way back in 2013, I think it was. And uh, one of the blogs that I dusted off today from the Internet Archive, um, I I just wanted to share that with you. I'm going to give you a little context here. Uh, A couple things you need to know. Number one, one of the characters in the book is Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini is a real-life person, or he was, but he also appeared as a character in The Blank Slave Boarding House for Creatives. He is the nemesis of my villain Perios the Magician. They have competing styles of magic and they both have pretty strong egos. Second thing you need to know is that you'll hear Harry Houdini complain about the quality of newsprint in this piece, and if you've read The Blank Slate Boarding House for Creatives, you'll know that there's a tree plague that's wiped out the earth's forest. And in 1924, Warren Harding, President of the U.S. at the time, he'd issued the Paper Moratorium Act that banned the use of remaining paper for the printing of newspapers and other non-essential communications. But the government was exempted from this order because bureaucracy needs lots of paper, right? So they have... Anyway, that's a separate story. But the newspapers and telegraph offices and book publishers, they had to scramble to find suitable replacements for, for paper. October 22nd, 1926. Harry Houdini reclined on a divan, skinned in a silk robe with maroon and black vines writhing on a field of gold. The tips of his indigo bedroom slippers pointed at the ceiling of the suite, his right foot propped on a tassel pillow, embroidered with the coat of arms belonging to the Hotel Le Saint-Timothy in Montreal. He scanned those stiff news sheets for any mention of his lecture at McGill University from the day before, or about last night's two performances. Correction, two sold-out performances. The tail end of his Canadian tour. A bum ankle wasn't stopping him from entertaining every last doggone one of those magic aficionados in spite of nursing the ankle he'd broken during a show two weeks earlier. He tried to rest it between performances, a time when he usually rehearsed or did his exercises. Now the only exercise he got was when he hopped on one foot down the runner carpet to the water closet. It was good exercise, but as soon as his ankle mended, he'd have to train the other leg so it could catch up. His wife Bess had been so good to him she'd come out of retirement in a sense. She was within earshot out on the balcony waiting for him only to call. She liked to lean over the wrought iron railings of tall buildings and wave at people and yell for help. It still gave her a little thrill to see their various reactions. Sometimes they'd just keep watching just to see what would happen next. Some of them shouted back to find out what the trouble was. Only a few men ever ran into the building without hesitation. Those were the men she wanted. If Houdini thought people would listen, Harry Houdini would have started singing the blues. Maybe add it to the act. Put it on an album and sell a million records like Al Jolson. But no one wanted to hear Houdini complain. Not even in song. He was the Iron Man. The truth was, he was having a run of bad luck. That's all it had to be. Just a four-year run of rotten doggone luck. Ever since the debacle at the Hippodrome, where Perios the Mind Magician had made a monkey out of him, first came the bankruptcy of the Houdini Picture Corporation, a business venture that was supposed to give him total control of his own motion pictures. Instead, it turned out to be a textbook lesson for future generations of artists to learn how to lose as much money as quickly as possible. Who knew making box office flops cost so much money? Then came his brother Theo's murder. Yes, he would call it that murder. How else could you explain four men going into a meeting and only three of them coming out, and then the fourth man found ten miles away, face down in a gutter in a town he'd never been to before? And if that wasn't bad enough, Houdini had lost his reelection as president of the Society of American Magicians. Not that he minded getting away from all that aching, but after all he'd done to build it up, losing the election was a slap in the face, plus it made him look bad in the newspapers or... Whatever you wanted to call them now, news boards? So damned fibrous. Couldn't fold it in half for fear of breaking a page. Would you care for beginning scrap or the ending scrap of the story? The way the so-called paper sucked up the ink, every photograph looked like gray and white triangles humping squares. But he still paid his society dues, and that kept him a card-carrying member. Leaving in a huff would have seemed petty. That's why you always have to seem gracious. Showmanship. He didn't go to the meetings anymore, though. That was his act of defiance. Why should he go? The new crew were rowing in a different direction now, and he didn't like where their noses were pointing. They wanted to go backwards, back into the darkness, but it seemed like that was happening all over the world now. Maybe it was the tree plague that had tipped the scales, just when everyone was pulling themselves together after the war, economies crumbling again, new dictators on the march. It was only a matter of time before the war struck again. There was even less to go around for everyone than there was before. Fewer resources, less wood, less coal, less hope. People make rash decisions, even Houdini. The things he regretted doing in his life always involved flying off the handle about something or getting too worked up about a new stunt or a trick too early. Reckless. He was lucky to be alive. One of his biggest regrets was when he decided it would be smart business to announce to the world that he could take any punch. Girdle of steel, he said. It's one of those claims other men took too seriously, and some man always wanted to test it. Kept Houdini on his toes, which at least kept life interesting. Three young men appeared in his dressing room. The squat one was built like a stack of bricks, and it looked like he'd run into a shovel a time or two with his flattened nose. Just muscle with ears. Turned out the SWAT guy had grown up in, in the Bronx, just like Houdini, and he loved baseball, too, as long as it was wearing a Yankees number. Were they kidding with those St. Louis Cardinals? The squat one laughed like a crow, his bushy eyebrows reaching nearly as high as his hairline. Those jokers never had a prayer. Game 7 in Yankee Stadium? Doomed. You got that right. Houdini was glad to talk to some, about something other than the tricks and his brother's murder for a change. I'll tell you what it is. Yankee Stadium is electric when the boys play. Koenig and Lazeri, place goes nuts. I'm telling you, that's real magic, boys. And Gehrig and the big babe, everyone is lit up and you can feel the energy tingling in your your fingertips. It's like people forget they have skin. The Yanks gotta get their pitching straight, though. The squat one looked at Houdini like he was inspecting a side of beef. In hindsight, that should have been a tip-off, but maybe Houdini was just tired of reading people for the day, the week, the decade. He just wanted to talk to someone, some schlub about some nice baseball for a change. Pitching? What do they need pitching for? Houdini laughed. He directed his attention only to the squat man. His two friends were younger than he was. They didn't seem to speak baseball. They just shot admiring glances between Houdini and their friend. Ruth had 47 home runs. 47! Led the league in RBIs. 50 50 wins at home. Three Boomers in game four. Yeah, but he takes too many games off. He was a real athlete. He'd play every game. That'd be an unfair advantage. The league makes them take games off, so the other teams have a chance to win every once in a while. Sounds like you're a real Babe Ruth fan, Mr. Houdini. Oh, please, just call me Houdini. I'm just saying he's a big show-off. He swings even if the pitcher is just blinking. A good ball player knows not every hit can be a home run. Gotta play smart. Well, that may be so, but the man is a powerhouse. I'd rather knock three out of the park in one game than watch three different batters pick their way around the bases like blind men. You know why he smacks the ball so hard, don't you? Bad knees. Hurts him too much to run. Houdini laughed, pointing his bum ankle. Brother, do I know how he feels. Why race around stealing the braces when you can get them all handed to you with one stroke of the bat? Fair enough, but what if the babe don't come back? The squat one shot a quick nod to his two companions, who seemed impressed that anyone could talk about American baseball for so long. I heard he's working with that Troyer guy to start making metal baseball bats, now that there's not so much wood around. They won't do that. That's crazy. No, really. They say both leagues might have to allow metal bats and make them regulation. That's a hot one. The man will be back. He'll see. He'll keep swatting them until his knees buckle or his liver finally gives out, and metal bats... Hell, this whole wood scare is just like the Prohibition or the measles. The whole wood scare will pass. There won't be any metal. The rest of Houdini's thoughts on metal bats and professional baseball were lost in a grunt as the squat one shot left-right pump grinders into Houdini's stomach. Too late, Houdini tightened his steel girdle of muscle. He would have laid out that bastard right there in revenge if he hadn't been in such tremendous pain. Couldn't catch his breath for twenty minutes. The squat man seemed surprised that Houdini was wincing and gasping for air. "'They said you wouldn't feel it,' he said to Houdini, then put his shocked puppy-dog look on the two other men who, while he spoke, "'You said he wouldn't feel it!' "'Oh, I think he feels it very much,' the reedy, blonde man replied. His voice was sharp-edged and cruel. "'I bet he wishes he were dead.' Houdini managed to string enough breath together to make some words. Who are you guys? Let's just say Gordon here is an aspiring boxer, and my other friend and I have taken a keen interest in your film career. Oh, that old thing. Which do you like more, the playing stunts or the love stories? The blond man shook his head. No, not those films, Mr. Houdini. Your other films. The secret films. I still get the money, right? The squat one interrupted. Yes, of course, Gordon. The society never reneges on a deal, does it, Mr. Houdini? You okay, Mr. Houdini? Never better, chum. They helped him to his feet. You should be a doctor, why, I can hardly even notice the pain in my ankle anymore. Harry Houdini died on October 31st, 1926, from a ruptured appendix. He is just one of the many colorful characters, imagined and reimagined, in my dark historical fantasy, The Blank Slate Boarding House for Creatives. That's going to do it for this episode of Box Flap. If you like what you hear on this show, please consider purchasing one of my books. They're available on the Amazon machine and I think there's something for everyone. Three great novels and also some uh, short humor pieces that hopefully put a smile on your face. And they're all out there just waiting for you, and I hope that they bring you enjoyment. And until next time, keep on flapping.